You are listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast. To learn more about Hill Country Bible Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at hcbc.com. Please enjoy today's message. Good morning. I want to welcome each of you to Hill Country Bible Church, those joining us online or in any of our locations. We're grateful to see you today, and I'm just curious, how many of you feel rested? Okay. I mean, last night was awesome. We fell back, so we picked up an hour of sleep, and the Astros and Longhorns took care of business early, so we were able to get that extra hour, right? So uh, can't say anything about the Aggies because they played earlier in the day, but uh, anyway, um, it's just great to be together. I want to begin with a question that's easy to answer incorrectly. So I'm going to ask you. Think about it, okay? Would you consider yourself a leader or a follower? A leader or a follower? Now, as you're thinking about that, S.I. McMillan, in his book, None of These Diseases, tells the story about a girl that was applying to college, and as she was filling out her college application, she came to this question, are you a leader And there was a place to check a yes or no by the box. And she thought to herself, this is going to disqualify me. They're never going to take me. But she was a conscientious person. And so she checked the no box. Assuming that she'd never hear from the university again, she was surprised when the letter came in the mail. And when she opened the letter, this is what it said. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms revealed that this year our college will have... 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. Our whole life, we've been taught, don't be a follower, be a leader. But the reality is that by design, we are social, and so the opinions of the society around us have a huge influence on the way we act and think. I mean, let's just face it. The majority of you walked in the door here today, and you would easily be able to spot the person that was wearing the fashions from 30 years ago, and you're thinking, what happened to him? Because obviously it's a him, right? Every year, when the new fashion designs come out, we start immediately beginning to update, 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 because we don't want to not look right. We got to fit in, right? In addition to that, whatever the trends are in, in media, whatever the trends are in technology, whatever the trends are in thoughts, We adopt those things almost without thinking about those things. And so we all are following. That's not uncommon that we are influenced by the people and the thoughts around us. And so when you think about it, who are the people that are influencing your life? Some of you can still hear in your head the voice of your dad or your mom, and you're 82, and you can still hear that voice in your head. Some of you have a favorite teacher that has significantly shaped your worldview. Some of you have a coach that's telling you, listen, you're going to be able to play in the NBA. 
and you're only 11. And if mom and dad just write that $2,500 check, we're going to take all of your evenings, all of your weekends, you're going to travel the country because you have potential. And we follow that, right? We follow those things. I mean, social media influencers are only influencers because people follow them, right? So on Tuesday... Americans are going to go to the polls, and they're going to elect our next group of officials who will make the rules that we will follow until we vote them out, and then another group will get in there, and they will make the rules that we will follow until we vote them out, and then there'll be another group that we will follow the rules that they make, which is one of the reasons why it's so important to vote, because literally, you're going to end up following the rules and the policies of the people that get voted into office because... We have to follow, which is part of what it means to live in society. Now, being a follower is not bad. In fact, if we didn't follow each other, we could never take advice, we could never learn, but it's very important to understand, who am I following? Now, in the Bible, this following metaphor is used regularly, where God talks about shepherds and sheep. In fact, in one of the most famous psalms in all of the Bible, Psalm 23, David begins the psalm with, repeat it if you can say it, the Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. Implication, like I'm a follower and he is the leader. So this is not a bad thing, it's just a very important thing to understand. So right now, we are going to turn in our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34, which the whole chapter is about shepherds and sheep. The whole chapter is about shepherds and sheep. Now we're in a series in studying the book of Ezekiel, And I want to bring you up to date because we're in chapter 34. So what's transpired so far? Well, the the background and setting of the story is that King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians came, besieged the city of Jerusalem, carried 10,000 of the most noble people, the high, high society and some of the rulers, carried them off as refugees and settled them in the land of Babylon. And there in the land of Babylon, he started speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. In fact, We saw in the first chapter this incredible vision of God in all of his glory appears to Ezekiel in Babylon. Now, wait a minute. Why is God in Babylon? He's supposed to be in Jerusalem at the temple. That's where his glory resides. What's he doing in Babylon? Later on in the book, God actually takes Ezekiel in a vision to Jerusalem where his glory departs the temple. And here's the message he gives Ezekiel to preach that after several centuries of the people in Israel not following God's law, not doing what God said to do, adopting other idols, developing a culture that was oppressive in nature, that God was going to judge his people, including the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And he was going to use Nebuchadnezzar to do that. And for eight years, Ezekiel is telling these 10,000 refugees, telling them God is going to judge Jerusalem. And they said, no way. 
Like God's protecting that. That's his holy city, the temple. That's where he lives. If you're a follower of Yahweh, it doesn't matter if you've added all these other idols and syncretized your life with all these other beliefs. Like, you will always be safe. In fact, the refugees thought that they were in judgment because they were in captivity. And then the day came. It's recorded in chapter 33, the chapter before the one we're looking at, in verse 21, that on January 8th, 585 B.C., one of the people who was escaping Jerusalem walked into the refugee camp and told them the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple has been destroyed, the people have been killed and scattered, the judgment has come. And suddenly, everything Ezekiel had been telling them for eight years was true. It had happened. Now, up to that point in the book, God has been telling those refugees, I'm going to judge my people because they've rejected me. From this point forward in the book, God begins to give the promise of the restoration. But this hinged chapter, chapter 34, God is going to give one of the reasons why he judged and how he's going to fix the problem, and it has to do with the shepherds and the sheep. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Now, let me just say this. This is not a history lesson. This is actually something that was written for us. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, write that down, look it up later. He says, these stories of the Old Testament were written to warn us not to follow the path that leads to judgment. Don't follow that path. So this story is very applicable. So to draw you in, I want to give you a question to wrestle with as we walk through this together. And here's the question. My statement is we're all following someone or something. Like there's something influencing us. There's something guiding us. Maybe someone. So here's the question. Do you know where they are taking you? If you simply wake up in the morning and do what the consumer culture is telling you to do, which is about 95% of what the average American Christian is doing with their life. Do you know where that's taking you? Do you know where that's taking you? So think about that as we dive in here. The chapter is divided into three sections. The first section, God announces the deliverance. So he's going to announce the deliverance. And the way he's going to accomplish it is through removal and rescue. So let's dive in here. Chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. Now, who are the shepherds? Well, in the ancient Near East, the kings were considered the shepherds. So he's talking to the political leaders right here, and he says, prophesy against the political leaders, the kings, for what they've done. Also, the idols or the gods were also considered shepherds. And so the false gods that they were worshiping, he's prophesying against them. Why? Look at what he says. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? That's an interesting question, right? Like, isn't the definition of a shepherd is you're caring for the sheep, right? Instead of using the sheep, 
And then he goes on to describe how they did it. He says in verse 3, You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly. The leaders had taken advantage of the people. The result of this, still in the sheep metaphor, he says, so that they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Now, this is an indictment of the leaders. Now, what's interesting here is for the majority of us, we would say, well, we're not surprised, right? Like, leaders who are supposed to lead are supposed to be helpful to the people, but most of the time, people in power abuse the power for their own personal gain. And for those of you who've read the story of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, it was like one king after another, after another, after another, who was bad. And, and most of us are just kind of used to that. Like, if you go to Washington, you're going to get wealthy. I mean, we all know that. We used to complain about it. Now we're just used to it. Like, this is how this works, right? People in leadership tend to lead themselves. But this is not God's plan. You know that God actually, in the book of Deuteronomy, told the king what they were supposed to do. And you may be surprised by that. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God says, when you, a new king, is coming to the throne, the first thing you're not supposed to do is you're not supposed to multiply for yourself horses or wives or gold and silver. And some of you are thinking, every one of the Israelite kings multiplied horses and wives and gold and silver. Well, the reason why he told them not to and they did it anyway is because the second part of what he told them to do is this, and this is really interesting. He told them that they were required to get the scroll that contained the law and to sit down with it and to actually transcribe their own personal copy of the law. Like, each king, when he came to the throne, was required to sit down and create their own copy. You say, well, I don't have to do that. I, like, I got it on my cell phone, right? That's why we don't know anything anymore. We know where it's at, but we don't know it. So that was, the, that was what they were required to do. Now, there was a reason why they were supposed to do that. I want, you to I want to show you what he goes on to say. In chapter 17, he goes on to say, it is to be with him... He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Make a copy of the law for yourself so that every day, you're going to read this. You're going to look at what it says. And you're not looking at it for how you're going to want other people in the kingdom to live. You're actually looking at it because this is your responsibility first and foremost. Take care of yourself. Make sure you're right and righteous before God. And every king 
was required to do that. You think they did? I don't think so. Because here's the promise. He goes on in the next verse and he says this. He says, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. And they fell one after the other, after the other, after the other. Why? In fact, what we're looking at in the book of Ezekiel here is the ultimate collapse because the shepherds had made it about them and not followed God's ways as the primary and first responsibility of their lives. I'm curious, moms and dads, you're the shepherds of your family, right? Your kids. I wonder, like if the command to parents was take, take the New Testament and when, you, when you're starting to, like, thinking about your family planning and you're starting to think about having a child, what I want you to do is sit down and hand write out your own copy so that you will read it every day and pay attention to what it says about you because you're not going to be effective at raising your kids unless you are committed to follow God's ways. I wonder how many would do that. I mean, as I poll people... The majority of the people I talk to don't even have time to read the Bible on a daily basis because they're too busy. Now, what shepherds are you following that would make you too busy to read God's Word? One of the greatest blessings I had in my lifetime was getting up in the morning as a kid and glancing into my father's bedroom, seeing him with an open Bible reading the Word of God. And occasionally I'd see him on his knees praying. And what that told me is, my dad personally is committed to the Word of God. Here's the other thing that I hadn't thought about until recently. What made that possible was we lived in a little dinky house. Seriously. Like, we had six people living in three bedrooms with one shower. So when I stepped out of my bedroom, I was almost like two steps, and I'm looking into my dad's bedroom. The actual circumstances gave me the opportunity to get close enough to what my dad did in his personal life to be able to see it. And you know what? Many of us believe that we have accomplished something significantly in this life when we can afford a house to put each of our kids in their own bedroom, separated from each other. Where did that come from? Now, some of you are saying, well, like, kids need their own privacy. Who told you that? Who made that up? Was it the Home Builders Association? <laughs> now, if you're a home builder, I'm not criticizing you, but think about it. Like, where do these messages come from that would drive us to work hard to build structures that separate us from each other and think somehow that's going to benefit everybody? Like, we don't think about stuff. We just do it, and where's that taking us? Who's the one who's leading this? Where's the voice that's speaking, and why are we following? 
One of the most important things that you can do if you're a teacher is read the Word of God because you've got sheep that you're leading. If you're a boss, read the Word of God because you have sheep that you're leading. If you're an elected official, read the Word of God. And not, not for them, but for you. For you. So what is God going to do about these shepherds who rejected what he told them to do? Here's what he says. Jumping in in verse 7, he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd. And so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than the flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. God says, I'm going to remove the shepherds, which he did, and he rescues the flock. Okay? So the question is, like, who is your shepherd? And what are they getting from you? Here's what's really interesting. God needs absolutely nothing from you. He needs absolutely nothing from you. He is self-sustaining, self-satisfied. In fact, he created you because he loves you and his plan for you is always good. How many of the shepherds that we are following, the voices of our culture, actually need a lot from you? They need your time, they need your money, they need your allegiance, they need your attention, they need your children, and they become taskmasters in your life. Such an important question to answer. God moves on from there in his statement. And he begins to talk about the nature of deliverance. Like, how in the world is God going to deliver them from these false idols that they're worshiping and from these kings that they're following? Well, the way he's going to do that is through replacement. He's going to replace them, and he's going to get personally involved. Look at what he says, starting in verse 11. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself. Now, let me just pause for a minute. This was written to a group of people that were in exile, in captivity, Think for a moment as you hear these words what they would have sounded like to the original readers, the original audience. Here's what God is saying to those broken and scattered people. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, I will look after my sheep and will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and all the settlements of the land, and I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will, be, they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend to my sheep, and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost sheep and bring back the strays. I will bind them up, the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What is he saying? 
Say, listen, I'm going to replace the shepherds with myself. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to get involved with my people. And the reason why that's so critical is because the problem or the fault with human society is not just its leaders, it's us too. Look at what he says about the sheep in verse 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between the rams and the goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pastures? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clean water? Must you also muddy the rest of the water with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I will judge between fat sheep and lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I'll save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. The human tendency of life is I want to get mine. And if you've been in the pasture before, if you've observed sheep or cattle or whatever, what's always interesting is how the stronger animals will push the other animals aside. And here we have this metaphor of, like, not only do you get enough grass to eat while you're pushing everybody else out, but you trample it down. Not only do you get clean water, but you muddy it all up. The tendency for us to think about ourselves and not how what we're doing affects somebody else is a plague in the human race, but it's common. I think about the humorous, sad story. When Jesus is just about to go to the cross to give his life for his disciples, they are having an argument. What are they arguing about? Which of them will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like, rather than going, oh, Jesus, like, you're sacrificing yourself for us? Like, that's so awesome. It's like, hey, Jesus, while you're taking care of that, what, what are you going to do to make sure that I'm at the top of the heap? Now, they're not saying this. They're not saying, like, Jesus, are you going to make sure that I'm greater in the kingdom of heaven than the people who are not following? They're actually arguing against their brothers in the disciples. Like, I want to be better in position than he, my brother at the end of the table. Why? That's what we do. We are constantly thinking about ourselves. How are we going to better ourselves? And so how is God going to put us in a place where he moves us out of that mentality and we begin to think about other people? What he says is, I'm going to rule. I'm going to judge between my sheep. I'm going to personally get involved. Now, there's a lot of narrative today, and some of you may have kind of been involved in some of these discussions. There's a lot of narrative today that, that looks at the broken systems of government in the world and is constantly thinking as a revolutionary, maybe we could come up with a better system. 
If you're a young person, uh, studying those things, which I studied when I was a kid, studying those things uh, is probably common, whether you're in college or high school, talking about how to fix broken systems or how to change the systems or how to radically overhaul the systems, thinking that someday we would all let go of our selfishness and just get along. And we could come up with a system of government that would make that work. If that's where you're at, I would just challenge you, spend some time in history. All the current systems that are being proposed today were played out in the 20th century with hundreds of millions of people dying. But there's always this dream. One of the commentators said on this passage, something I want to point out to you because I think it's so profound. God's solution to the history of bad shepherding is not to replace shepherding with a new system, but with a new shepherd. In other words, we can do our best to incrementally improve the conditions of the people on the planet, but when it comes to thinking that we can, outside of God's direct intervention, solve all the problems of the world, we are fooling ourselves. And God promises the nation of Israel right here, there's coming a day in the future when I'm going to get personally involved and I'm going to help remove the problems that people have between each other. Finally, he ends with the goal of deliverance. Like, why is God going to get involved in deliverance? Because God wants to restore what's been broken. Look at what he says. He says in verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, what's he talking about? Because David's been dead for a long time. Well, God made a promise to King David that someone would come from his family who would be divine in nature and actually be the true shepherd of the sheep. And that promise was fulfilled when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world. In fact, Jesus said this about himself. He said, I'm the good shepherd. So Jesus said, I'm the one, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, rather than being one who came into the world to abuse the flock and to use the flock for his own glory, to build some kind of structure that, that would focus on him. Jesus never owned a home. Jesus died a slave's death. And what did Jesus do? He came to bring the word of God and healing and hope and forgiveness and to offer that. He's the only one that could truly rule the world in a way that would solve the problems of humanity. And following that, the restoration, listen to the promise. He says in verse 25, I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forest in safety. Um, any, anybody go to the father-daughter camp out this weekend? Maybe you slept in the forest? Like, think about sleeping in the forest in safety, not having to worry about fire ants in Texas. Like, uh, what a great thing. He goes on to verse 25. He says, I will bless them in the places surrounding my hill. That's uh, the city of Jerusalem. And I will send down showers and season. There will be showers of blessing. 
The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in the land. They will know that I am the Lord. When I break the boughs of their yoke and strengthen them and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them, they will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild bee animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for crops, and it will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord God, am with them, and that they the house of Israel are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are people, and I'm your God, declares the sovereign Lord. God's talking to them, using the metaphor of sheep, but saying, listen, you're really my people. Now, this prophecy of when God is going to establish peace and bring together his people, and that Jesus Christ would be the leader of that, all of that is future. So if you read the Bible, you will understand that that day is coming. You say, well, when is it going to come? We don't know. In fact, Jesus actually told his followers, he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons when that's going to happen, but the promise is that it's going to come. Maybe it's going to come soon maybe in our lifetime. We're not sure, but God is going to establish his kingdom and all these promises are going to be fulfilled. But in the meantime, God has a very specific plan and that plan is for us. You say, what is his plan? Well, here's what God has ordained. God has ordained that his people hear the good news of the gospel, put their faith in Jesus Christ, become a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would be united into a family called the church. Now, contrary to what most people think, the church is not an organization, it's not a building, it's not a pastor, it's not a denomination. The church is actually the people of God, you and me, called into a family, called into a relationship for a very important purpose. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The family of the church, the people of God, are called to come together under the leadership of Jesus Christ to live our lives in such a way that we actually reflect the kingdom values. That what we do with our relationships and our time, our talents, our focus, that we would reflect the beauty of God's love and forgiveness, of God's commitment to his people and our commitment to each other, that we would show a crazy world by the way we love each other and the way we live that there is a God in heaven and there is a better way. God's plan works incredibly well 
And there are places on the planet where people are seeing the church of Jesus Christ loving each other and forgiving each other and investing time in each other and living together and using our gifts. And and they see that and they want to be part of that because they look at the culture around them and they go, the rest of the culture is falling apart in the dog-eat-dog world. I want to be in a family. I want to follow that. In the United States, the church is weak because the average Christian views church as something that you attend, not that you are. Views church as something that is optional, not something that is transformational. And so therefore we go to our busy lives, do what everybody else in the culture is doing, and then wonder why it's hard to tell people about the transforming power of Jesus because there's nothing to see here. God's plan for this period in history and for you and for me is that we would come together in a way that would blow the minds of the people around us by how our shepherd leads us to live lives that are so transformed, marriages that are so healthy and holy, children who are growing up to know and and honor the character qualities of the Word of God that the world around us would literally see. We would show and we would share. We would be able to tell people, this is what Jesus does when he becomes the shepherd of our lives, and he calls us to do that together. And then God went further to appoint shepherds, shepherds in the church who we are responsible to listen to and follow. Do you know Hill Country Bible Church has those shepherds? Do you know that? Well, let me just show you in the Bible, in case you don't believe it, let me show you what it says in the Bible. Peter is writing to the churches that have been planted in the first century, and here's what he says. He says, to the elders among you, Now, the elders, that's that role of leadership in the church. And watch what he says. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. In other words, Peter's saying, I'm the same as you. Like, I'm not better than you. I'm not any pope or anybody like that. I'm like with you in this. I'm a fellow elder. And here's what he tells the elders to do. Here's what he tells the Hill Country Bible Church elders to do. Be shepherds, there's that word, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. The word overseers means that they are responsible for your life as a believer. Oversee the church, the family of believers. And then he says, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. It sounds a little bit like when God in the Old Testament said to the kings, write down the words so you won't do the wrong things. He's telling the elders the same thing. You realize that our elders are volunteers? You realize our elders don't get paid? Our elders make a four-year commitment, and in that commitment, they're responsible to help you grow spiritually. Are you dialed into that group of shepherds? He goes on to say this, 
He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. This is a common conversation in the elder meetings. We're talking about what do we need to do in our own personal lives to be shepherds? How, how do we need to live? What do our families need to look like? What does our marriage need to look like? How are we supposed to be leading as men of God, not simply standing up and dictating, we want you to do something that we aren't willing to do, but leading by example. And then he goes on to say, and when the chief shepherd appears, who do you think the chief shepherd is? The Lord is my shepherd, right? Jesus said, I am the shepherd. That's Jesus. When Jesus appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Here's what I want you to know. There's coming a day when we stand in the presence of Jesus, gathered around his throne, and Jesus is going to get up from his throne and bring a crown of glory and place it on the heads of those men who have served Jesus and the church as elders. Now, from time to time, we ask men, are you, are you interested in maybe becoming an elder? And the number of people who say, no, I don't think I have time for that. I don't have time for that. Let that sink in for a second. I don't have time for that. I got too many other things to do. Now, some guys are, are so involved in ministry that it totally makes sense. They're, they're already running for the crown that God's going to give them, and men and women running for that crown that God's going to give them. But these men shepherd the flock. Now, now let, me just, let me just talk to you a little bit more about what, what takes place. So ever since I've been the pastor here, and it was happening before I came. But for 34 years, every Friday morning, I'm with the group of elders. We are on our knees praying to God, and we're praying for you. We're praying for your spiritual growth. We're praying for your health. We're praying that you would be mobilized to live out what God has called you to do. And we're asking God, God, what do we need to tell the church in our teaching, in our discipleship, in our small groups, in our ministry, in our community engagement, in our global missions? What do we need to tell the church to get everybody on the same page following Jesus so that we might live in a community that shows and shares the good news? And I'm curious. How much weight... In your decision-making, are you giving to the spiritual leaders of your church? Who has your ear? Where are they taking you? A couple years ago, I was in an accountability relationship with a good friend of mine, and we'd meet every week, and we'd pray together and talk about our families and share what was going on in our lives. And this particular guy... A really smart guy. I mean, really, really smart guy. Like, really, really smart. High up in an international corporation. And he was sharing me some of his struggles because his mentor and boss was constantly telling him, man, you've got the potential to go to the next level. And let me just say, 
If he went to that next level, when he walked in the room, people would be paying attention to him. You've got the potential. You've got the education. You've got the chops, the career savvy, the gifting to follow your dream to the very top. Remember, like, we were told when we were kids and we tell our kids, like, you can be anything you want to be. And we find out in life, no, that's not true. Our parents lied to us. We lied to our kids. Like, you can't be anything you want to be. Like, I tried to play in the NBA in my mind for a few minutes. You can't be anything you want to be. This guy could be what he wanted to be. And then he started looking at the person who was calling him up. No family, no time for marriage, no time for kids, no hobbies, no spiritual life. It was 24 7, 365, serving the job. And he said, Tim, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And so, against all the career advice you got from your counselor when you were leaving college, he began to use that two-letter word that all of us should practice from time to time, and it's the word no. He started to say no. He's still employed, still making a living, but he redirected his focus and put his time and energy into serving people, and he's literally impacting hundreds and hundreds of people in our church and beyond every year because he figured out where the voice that was trying to lead him would take him, and he said no. My challenge to all of us is that we would be willing to be the church together and follow our leaders. You say, I don't know what they want me to do. Listen, ask, because together we can show the world what the kingdom of Jesus Christ looks like while we're here. When I ask you the question, who is your shepherd? Can you fill in the blank with David? The Lord is. Can you fill that in, my shepherd? That's my prayer for you. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I just thank you for each person that's part of Hill Country Bible Church and all the people that are visiting. Father, my prayer is that you would give them a sense of holy destiny that they would understand that their purpose on earth is not just to be a consumer, but their purpose is to be part of the movement of transformation to literally sweep our city, our state, our nation, and the world with a picture of the good shepherd leading his sheep. Father, may we be willing to remove those voices in our head that lead us into the bondage of this busy consumer culture and free us for the kingdom culture that you've called us to. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, 
Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To hear other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at hcbc.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.